Today, I talk with Jan Recker. Professor Recker is an IS Fellow, Alexander von Humboldt Fellow, Chair Professor of Information Systems and Systems Development at the University of Cologne, Germany, and Adjunct Professor of Queensland University of Technology, Australia. His research focuses on systems analysis and design, digital innovation and entrepreneurship, and digital solutions for sustainability challenges. He explores the intersection of technology, people and work with focus on how technology and or work are designed and in which processes they come together. Professor Recker has published in the top journals of our field and is one of the most cited scholars in our field. He is a senior editor for the Miss Quartele. From 2015 to 2020, he was editor-in-chief of Communication Association for Information Systems Journal, where he introduced the history and philosophy of IS department. And in this podcast, we talk about philosophy. We talk about his encounters with philosophy, about the option to choose, epistemological pluralism, transparency, the beauty and future of the ice field, and we end with Jan's message to young scholars. It is my pleasure to bring you Professor Recker. Good morning, Professor Recker. It's a pleasure uh, uh, having you. Uh, and accepting the offer to talk about the uh, uh, philosophical work and the things that happen behind in our Sigfil uh, philosophy, uh, philosophy uh, podcast. Um, as usually, I want to hear a little bit historically backwards. You're, uh, you're identified as one of the younger scholars. Uh, that is also uh, interesting because when uh, I talked with my colleagues, he said already 60% of my colleagues are younger than me. So I'm not so younger now. <laughs> But in, the, in this field, uh, you were identified as some of the younger scholars who actually put emphasis on Uh, let's say promoting, uh, I would say, diversity and um, let's say um, encompassing uh, uh, and enabling different type of scholars, different type of thoughts to emerge and to move, and that is also reflective in your in your work. So I would like to kindly ask you to explain a little bit historically how you actually, um, how did you get engaged in philosophical uh, uh, thinking, or what, what philosophical thinking influenced your thinking. <laughs> Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me. I was really looking forward to this. I, uh, I mentioned this earlier to you. I, I've listened to some of these episodes and, and it's great uh, to hear the story behind uh, the works or even in this case, uh, sometimes even the persons. Um, I'm, um, people that know me would, will find it funny that I'm uh, talking uh, on a philo philosophy uh, podcast because I often go out there and say, you know, leave me alone with all this stuff. But of course, that's not how it works, right? So, uh, of course, we all have to deal with this. And of course, we all have a stand and we come across a philosophy every day that we go to work. Um, but, I, you know, I tend to have a very pragma pragmatist angle towards um, this topic and I'll get into this. So mm -hmm. you asked me a little bit about well, how I got engaged with this. And um, I think we have to go back a, a quite a long way. So you said I'm a, I'm a young scholar. I'm not so sure. So number one, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel young anymore, right? I am a middle-aged white man. Um, uh, and, and secondly, I've been around for, uh, for a long time, right? So I've been, um, I've been an academic for about 15, 16 years now. So I don't, I don't, and I've been a professor for about 12, I think, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years. So um, doesn't, doesn't feel young anymore. Um, so, and there are younger generations coming through, but um, I will say that I think what the 
my generation or the people of my age in this field, um, what is the big difference is that we are one of the first generations that come from within information systems. And what I mean with this, you know, information is a very young field to begin with. And it was born, depending on who you listen to, it was born by people that come out of the business discipline and open it up, or they come out of the, the, the technical, the engineering, computer science discipline and sort of formed it. But the key point is a lot of them came from the outside and developed it, right? And they developed the, the research, the community, and also the teaching and the courses and the degrees. And um, I, uh, in Germany, when I studied my undergrad, you could study information systems as a degree, as a bachelor degree, as a master degree, etc. And it wasn't around for a long time. So it means that from my, my very early undergrad days, I was from within the field. And I think that's a big, big turning point for our field. Uh, because a, lo a lot of the older guys that run the journals, etc., They've been come from the outside. And of course, they bring their philosophies and their viewpoints and their politics and everything from the outside into, into our field. And now we have people like me that are not all that young anymore, but we've always come from within our field rather than from the outside. And I think that's, that has marked a big turning point around over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I think that's important is I'm, 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 I was born and uh, raised in Germany and uh, that means we deal with philosophy a fair bit, a couple of years during high school mm -hmm. um, already. So you do read a whole bunch of uh, traditional philosophy stuff. And you know that Germany tends to think of it as the, the country of uh, the, the poets and the ph uh, philosophers, right? And they're very proud of the history of uh, 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 Goethe, but also Schiller and Kant and, and, yeah. and Gadamer and Heidegger and so forth, right? So a lot of these fairly influential, and Wittgenstein, a lot of these uh, influential uh, philosophers are German and, you know, so you, I guess you get exposed to that um, yeah. during high school. So I had a reasonable, I guess, a broad understanding. And it so happened that when I was a teenager, there was this book, it was called Sophie's World. And you may have heard of it, right? So yeah. Sophie's World was, was sort of, when was it? Mid-90s, maybe, I guess. Um, and it was a, a first sort of popular literature account, introduction to philosophy. That wasn't really all that, you know, it was, it, put it. it looked like a novel, but it was pretty deep, actually. Yeah. But it was a huge success and lots and lots of people read it, right? I, I don't know about other countries, but in Germany, it was a big hit for a long time. And, you know, and I read it too. So um, twice, actually. So, so. We, uh, you, you get a fair bit of exposure yeah. to different streams um, at that age, right? Mm. And uh, the way that, that the uh, university programs are made up, you, well, it depends on, on where you go, but you tend to get a fair bit of philosophy of science education as well. So yeah. I guess that's, that's my, my upbringing, if, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, so it's actually, uh, for example, from your side is like the education system make it, uh, let's say, to have a broad knowledge. But what I broad knowledge of the philosophical streams and from the, but what I notice is that uh, sometimes people choose two directions or they become, let's say, dedicated to a philosophical stream and try to use that or try to have more eclectic, uh, let's say, uh, uh, pragmatical approach to the to the philosoph philo philosophical thinking that they will be actually based or use or exploit in their their writings and what 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 is your thinking about it how how you actually when you started because um, you know you you mentioned that 
scholars from outside bring uh, the older scholars from that came from other fields bring their culture their philosophy their thinking but now you are in that position that you actually bring your philosophy and your culture in in the field so that would be a bottom up yeah. culture within the within the within the field but my question is in this let's say constellation what is your uh, let's say philosophical thinking how you came up to certain um, let's say decision what philosophical thinking eclectic uh, or yeah. or uh, uh, let's say a domain or concrete stream will be used what what is your experience in this well i think for me it was very much influenced by my my mentors and my uh, my my supervisors and the advisors that helped me or continue to help me uh, I guess in my career and so sort of like the way they they look at the world their school of thought and that heavily influenced me and uh, let me make that very concrete so one of my earliest exposures to research was um, um, when I was a master's student I had the chance to meet Ron Weber um, Ron Weber at that time he's an Australian IS scholar um, fairly philosophical as well and he was at that time editor-in-chief of MI's quarterly yeah. And it was a very impressive uh, meeting for me. It was a very big opportunity, of course. But you know, he spent he spent hours and days with me as a, some visiting master student from Germany, and um, you know, so that really brandmacked me. So um, the the other big influence was my own, who later became my doctoral advisor, Michael Roseman, another Australian uh, scholar, um, who has a very phenomenological and pragmatic approach to research so mm -hmm. he goes out into the world and looks for problems and opportunities out there and then decides whether or not to do research on it yeah. and, and how he does it depends on what the phenomenon is and what the approach is that is possible in the real world right mm -hmm. so you know people would call it engaged scholarship or problem phenomenon driven research mm -hmm. well, that's also my my approach so with that you need to be very pragmatic and very flexible in how you do your research that if, if, for example in terms of methods no. yeah so it depends on what the problem is in the context is even if you train an experiment, you may not be able to do one. Or even if you want, if you're qualitative research, maybe the only data you get is quantitative, you know? Yeah. So you need to, if you follow this, you need to be able to switch. Um, yeah. And that's also what I've done. That's also what I've trained, which is why I feel very comfortable with many, many different methods because yeah. uh, I had to, right? And it also means that you, you more broadly select theories or even viewpoints, philosophies, yeah that yep. go with exploring what, what lies out there in the real world that you find interesting. Yeah. So um, the, the third thing that was really, um, well, really forming my own worldview was, I guess, was my, my topic of interest. See, when I started doing my postgraduate days, later into my PhD, and to this day, mm -hmm. I've done research on conceptual modeling. Now, that's the question, how we make sense and describe the world uh, to build systems that, you know, do certain things. Yeah. You know, so we, we try to describe the world, which is a deeply philosophical question. Yeah. It looks very mundane if you look at what the tools and outcomes of conceptual modeling are. We, we talk about schemas and diagrams and yeah. process models and things like that. But it's a very, very deep question. How do we describe the world around us? And we do this with a view that we later build some sort of technological system that does something, right? Like an SAP yeah. system or even a little app. Yeah. And so people look at this topic and think like, oh, that, that you know, 
It's a very basic tool of analysis, yeah. but the underlying question is very fairly deep. And um, that stream of research is so close to very deep philosophical, ontological questions. So yeah. if you do research in that field, you end up reading a lot of philosophy because everyone that does research on that field is very deep in philosophical awesome. questions, yeah. right? So um, that means when I got into this in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. I had to read a lot of um, very different and very contrastful uh, uh, philo philosophical perspectives around what the world actually is and uh, how we can describe it and how we can create knowledge about it and how we can you know, ultimately formalize and, and express it. So yeah. that I think is very deeply connected just to this phenomenon that I was interested in modeling, you yeah. know? And what, what I sense is like you use, and you put it nicely, conceptual modeling tries to, to explain the world, to describe the world. And uh, which, when I link this with your previous says that sometimes certain aspects of the world uh, cannot be explained with one approach. So, uh, or one method, etc. So actually to get, closer to the, to the not truth, but more uh, realistic description of what is happening and how it's happening, we need to mix also the philosophical uh, approaches and to mix the methods which we, which we use. And do you think that this is a smart strategy when you're younger or uh, you're older? Or Because um, I know that I, I read your editorial, you know, uh, on the, the Kais when you uh, lived and you say, now I have kids. You know, uh, when I started, now the kids take my time. Now we have COVID, etc. That brings me to a certain point that there is limitations of what you can uh, do with your time. And then that brings me to, let's say, uh, also I went through the, some of your previous works, which you like how to do research information systems. And then that you need to write, find the problem, to solve that problem, publish that problem, defend that uh, problem. So... What, what, what is your experience in this regard that, yes, it's better to describe the world through perspectives. This could be philosophical, methodological, etc. approaches. But what about time? What about the constraints or requirements of the field? What, what is your experience? How you cope with this? Um, I think the only way to cope with this is to be very programmatically and think of it as a long-term game because you're absolutely right um so I, I i love this idea of pluralism and i think our field is in comparison to others doing pretty well yeah. to be honest and that we you know over time we've come to accept different viewpoints and different methods and all of this so all of that is allowed all of that is welcome yeah. which is a great feature yeah, it's nice. So, so that's that's my own viewpoint on this. I do think there's different ways to look at the world, and no, I don't think that one way is necessarily better. And I want to have the freedom to choose when I desire, right? Yeah. And, and I don't want to be caught in the arguments and oh, but last time you said it looks like this, you know. <laughs> so, but the downside of all this is that if you if you if you think about diversity and pluralism, well, you got to learn all that, right? So yeah. um, there's there's huge training costs. Yeah. Uh, involved um so the the obvious choice here is is in research methods right so yeah. um uh it's very hard to do one well and it's obviously incredibly a lot harder to do multiple of them well so all of that cannot be achieved in one project and it can it probably not be achieved in one you know phd education either yeah. that's why i mean well you got to look at this programmatically you got to look at it as a very long game over decades so i've been doing this for 15, 16 years, and I feel reasonably comfortable with 
several methods. I'm not saying I'm an expert in all these, but it has taken a long time to do that. And I do think it's dangerous in your PhD program, for example, if you're a really young scholar to say, oh, I'm going to learn five, six different things, all of which yeah. are very, very complicated. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the best advice there is, of course, to, you know, start learning one thing, do this really well, demonstrate that you do it well, and then the next time you can do something else, maybe. Um, but you, you got to see it as a, as, a, as a program that has as a portfolio that has many elements of it. Yeah. Right. So because there is this thing and there is publication pressure and all this. So you yeah. got to you can't just do everything and, and wait that all of this uh, is successful all the time. And it won't. Yeah. yeah? So uh, you got to be willing, I guess, to learn a lot, to fail a lot. And I, I think to to still have a career, you still got to do some things that you're already really good at and make sure that you're that you're productive there while maybe here you're learning other things where you will not be productive in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a risky strategy. It is. Yeah. And, I, and I know that from experience because I've changed topics and interests and that set me back easily five, six years. Easily. Yeah. 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 So you got to live with that, I guess, if you make that choice. Yeah. But again, the, the benefit might be that you actually within 10 years from now, you get this, uh, let's say, more broad and more, let's say, in the broad and in-depth understanding of the field and the problems. So you can provide maybe better solutions in a, in a, in a way, let's say, to real problems. Well, I also think you have more freedom in picking your problems, right? Yeah. If you're not constrained by a particular theory, a particular philosophy, a particular method, then you can just go out there and, and study anything that you find interesting. Yeah. I, I still see people that said, oh, you know, that might be interesting, but I'm really just a survey guy. Not, not just, yeah. I'm a survey guy. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that particular phenomenon, I can't study that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't study it now. I can only study it later or whatever it may be. Um, but I think that's, that's very, very restrictive. And if you do build up a broad base um, of yeah. comfort, then you can say, well, that's a fascinating thing. Let's do that. But again, if, we, if I try to see this one, and this relates to cooperation, uh, should this be like, uh, what's your opinion is like, should be this an individual, like, for example, me as an individual build these skills, etc., or I engage in building teams that will tackle these problems. For example, there is some research publishing uh, now in information systems that you need to build these strategic research groups that will actually try to tackle big grand challenges the world is facing etc but th- th- this is like more transdisciplinarity and there are calls in our field for transdisciplinary research and in your opinion in a short term or longer term it's um, longer term maybe is a person but shorter term is a team what what is your uh, like well, I, I think that a lot of the uh, problem these days uh, very hard to do yourself like yeah. as, a, as a single person or a single team or even as a, as a you know, single um, disciplinary team. So I think I think we will see larger teams, more transdisciplinary stuff because a lot of the, the, the issues at the moment, they connect in different fields. I mean, if you're interested in climate change and Fridays for Futures, um, you can't just hold that as a pure information systems person. What do you want to look yeah. at it? At the app that they use? I mean, it yeah. becomes fairly meaningless, right? Yeah. Um, or, or COVID, right? I mean, that's a great example where different, fields and disciplines all have a say all have a you know partial puzzle piece yeah. so so from that angle i think that 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 collaboration is very important and again in the short term for your next paper if you think about this way uh, again that might be very detrimental 
because these transdisciplinary collaborations, they're not as easy as, as one might think. I mean, they, you need to start working with these people. You need, you need to start talking a language that everyone can understand. Um, yeah. Writing a transdisciplinary paper is incredibly hard because if you, if you go out of the own field, you're in no man's land and you don't speak to any real community because there's no real transdisciplinary journal, right? So yeah. we, it's very hard to write these things just in terms of communicating a message to an audience. Yeah. So all that sounds good on paper and it sounds good in editorials where we say we need more of that, but the, yeah. the, the reality of it is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, when, uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but for example, when you write a transdisciplinary piece or you want to take it from different, it's hard to find reviewers that will actually reflect that uh, transdisciplinarity because people, again, are more or less, and I see it like, when what, what are you good in review? I'm good in review in this, in this stream, in this method, etc. So I think, and I repeated previously, all research is transdisciplinary, all publications are single disciplinary. <laughs> so this... Yeah, I think so too, yeah. <laughs> And maybe, maybe, maybe they need to be here, yeah? uh, but, but you're right. So um, I have made the same experience. So for example, I've done some little research on the connection between um, information systems and environmental sustainability, yeah. where, you know, that's, that's the bread and butter field of the environmental sciences. So what, what does happen is that you submit your paper uh, to a journal that's either in this field or in that field. And uh, you do get a reviews from the other field as well. So they do ex get outside experts mm -hmm. to comment. So if I had several papers where environmental scientists looked at my paper and they, they shred it to pieces, they, they did. And, and, you know, let me be clear, rightfully so. Yeah. yeah, they call it kindergarten problems and, uh, you know, too small to be meaningful. If you if you have a environmental scientist that looks at, I don't know, biosystem diversity in a continent like Australia, yeah. you know, it has huge simulation models. And I'm talking about a little app that helps people, uh, I don't know, pick a bike ride over using their own car. Yeah. They, find, think... that, they find that utterly meaningless and, 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 and you know, singular yeah. and not holistic enough. And in and I sat there and thought like, well, you know, fair enough, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> From that angle, right? Yeah. Probably that is one thing when you um, uh, an expert meets, uh, uh, let's say, somewhere which is novel in that field, and the uh, expert comprehend the whole field completely, and it can actually show how the contribution of this small, let's say, out of discipline uh, scholar, actually is very little, little meaningless, and it's. Like learning, what I find that is when I was uh, reading, like uh, find the audience of the journal, find the, the target group of the journal. And actually it's like, even with the philosophy and the methods, etc., it's actually uh, more or less saying, maybe I'm wrong, like find the language that they speak, you know? So you need to, and when you like, it's, if, you, if you go in Germany and you speak uh, English, you know, then you can communicate with the people but you do not understand the jokes, you know, which are in German, you know, you don't understand the, the, the mimic. So it's like the same, like when, because I'm putting it now from philosophy to methodology to epistemology in, in a way, it's like how we communicate with, with this, uh, uh, how we communicate our philosophical or methodological idiosyncrasies or suggestions or novelty, let's say you create a novel, uh, method. There is one paper, I think it's in other systems, where people, uh, 
needed to invent new method in order to research this new, uh, let's say, uh, situation. And if we go on a stable and want to make sure that science, what we do is scientifically, let's say, rigor or let's say transparent, etc. And if we try to mix new method, new domain, etc., like uh, for COVID, you need new method, like transdisciplinary method to research it. And you need, so what is your thinking in a way, how we represent this in writing? Because, you know, we have all these thoughts and coming, etc. but then you need to put it in a, some structured paper that needs to communicate it with the concrete community and actually be, I would say, rather incremental than radical in a way, you know? I, I'm not sure about that last yeah. part, to be honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that it has any limitations on, on how incremental or radical or transformative mm -hmm. an idea could be. But I, I will say that, um, so, you know, all the journals in the different fields, they have their own community, their own language. I agree with that. And I think that that's rightfully so. I mean, yeah. um, there are journals that are written for, that are speaking to a particular audience, just as well as there are newspapers that are, are very different and yeah. speak to different audiences. Yeah. yeah. So in, in Germany, it's a bit different if you read the German Times or Bild, or, yeah. you know, in, in English, it would be the sun versus the mirror and, you yeah. know. And, yeah. so, and, and the times yeah. so um, that's the same I think in 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 the in the journal field and 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 that's fine I mean why why should uh, MIS quarterly um, speak to the accountants you know yeah. it's not an accounting journal it needs to speak to us and it speaks uh, in a language that 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 we can understand mm -hmm. so but the 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 issue still exists right so uh, i mentioned earlier that i was trained and, and liked the idea of going out there picking a problem or an idea yes. that i like and, and going after it and that puts you in positions where uh, you sometimes end up in disciplines where that's not your home field and you write for journals that are not your home field so yeah. i'll give you one example we've done uh, 10 years ago we've done research on uh, what's called constructive deviance where people don't follow the rules, mm -hmm. but they're not cheating. They're actually doing better and they help everybody else by cheating, right? And it's interesting. I was fascinated by it and we did a lot of research on it, but this is about people's behavior at work and there's no IT, yeah. you know? So it's not yeah. an IS topic. Yeah. You can make it one, but really at the, at the core of it, it's, a, it's about people deviating at work. So it's an um, organizational behavior problem or yeah. even applied psychology problem, right? Um, so we did, we've done this research and I think we've done it well and very rigorous and so forth. And we did several studies, uh, got very interesting results. And we tried to um, write the papers for these journals. Yeah. yeah. So we were a team of two or three, me, a doctoral student and a postdoc all working on this together. Yeah. And we could not get this published like at all. And I'm, I'm talking about certainly 20 or so attempts. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, not well. We we tried this one journal, we failed, and we put yeah. it aside. No, I, yeah. I think we had four four studies or so. We tried all, all up easily above twenty journals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we could not get it in. And I, to this day, I think that we we just couldn't speak that language. We we didn't know how to write for Journal of Organizational Behavior. And it's very hard to do that um, if you don't have any experience in that. Yeah. yeah, and we didn't have anyone on the team with a track record in these journals and we yeah. couldn't at that time we didn't know how to get one either so yeah. of course we read the papers and of course we read the editorials and we try to mimic yeah. their language but you know we felt so the, the 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 research ultimately seven years later ended up somewhere else in domain yeah. journals yeah um 
but they didn't end up where we wanted them. And I, I still think the idea was good. The results were good. The method was good. So it must have been the writing. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the downsides. If you follow that approach, that you can yeah. go out, you can do everything. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll succeed because it's very, very hard to do that. And at yeah. that time, we thought about getting someone in that speaks this language, but we didn't know anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And at the yeah. university, there was, there was also no uh, psychology department or an organizational behavior group that I could ask. Right. So yeah. um, we were left to our own devices. It did not manage. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's how that goes. Yeah. And, and in these publications way, do you, do you think, for example, I, sometimes people, uh, it, it relates to this, when you write in your publication, do you think it's, it's good to identify your, let's say, philosophical standing or, or you can actually, that to be clearly made, I'm a phenomenologist, I'm a critical realist, I, I, I'm, I, I'm following the, this uh, stream of thought or I'm feminist or something like that, or this should be, let's say, more uh, grasped from the writing, or it's not necessary at all because you you doesn't need to know all your backgrounds in order to explain how you solve these problems. What what is your experience in publications and as an editor also you can say it. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is more a question from my editor experience, yeah. and I would say um, the more transparency you can create, the better. So if yeah. you position yourself and say, look, I look at this from a critical realist or a feminist or whatever yeah. angle yeah. and with the justification of why this perspective seems so um, you know, appropriate for you, yeah. I think that's better. It's certainly better than trying to leave it to the reader to sort of infer that from the writing. I mean, yeah. you're better off positioning it. And the reason for that is that then it allows the readers and the reviewers to then um, evaluate it also from that perspective. Yeah, if you say, look, you know, I'm going to tackle this from a critical realist angle, yeah. then, you know, it sort of forces the reviewers to also look at it from that angle yeah. because uh, it would be very hard for them to then take a, I don't know, a uh, interpretive or positive angle and say, oh, from that angle, it looked, this all looks like rubbish to me, yeah. right? So from that angle, I would always encourage that. What I would not encourage, uh, what I see very often is, is you go in at unnecessary length. And you ramble on on on, on the background uh, of that yeah. position. I think what yeah. it needs is that you're very clear on the position, and then you have a good reason for choosing that or for, for, for holding that position, and and that it's you know justifiable for the, for the context of the paper and the study and so forth. That's yeah. it. I mean, this is literally one or two sentences. Yeah. Um, I, I see people either not doing that, which I don't think is a good idea, or they spend five pages on that, <laughs> which is also not a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in, in a way, but uh, I will just come go back now, which you previously said, like, and it's related to pluralism. And I do what I find the project actually will make it me find more or get, gain insight in the problem which I try to solve. And you have a history of publications. You publish one, two, five papers, etc. And in the beginning, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking generally now, you know. And you publish, and, and you say here, I tackle this problem from this perspective with this method, etc. But later on, after two, three years, you use it, uh, the same problem to look on it from another problem, etc. And then community might say, okay, but you're now, let's say, you 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 were saying this is the best approach, or this is more appropriate approach in the first paper. Now you're doing more or less the same. Let's say. And my idea is how as a young scholar, which actually you do your PhD, you have your mentor, you, may, you might get a paid PhD scholarship that actually focus on mm -hmm. determinate project. It's something so you need to do it and publish it, etc. 
Then after five years, you get a new position, you join a new group maybe, and you want, you change your views a little bit. And what, what is your thinking is about this flexibility of uh, approaches? As you say, I want to have a freedom to choose, you know, and how you, and do you need to justify your freedom to choose? You know, what, what is your thinking about, about this in a, let's say- Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, um, I think you need to be very reflective about these. These are all choices, I think, and they all come with ups and downs, with upsides yeah. and downsides. So I talked about the upside being, you know, flexibility to choose and so forth. Yeah. One of the downsides was that you, you increased the learning effort. Yeah. And, and yes, of course, you need to justify that you maybe change position, right? So yes, that is a valid criticism and, and, and that will not go on with, with everyone. So people need to realize that when they, they hop between topics and viewpoints and methods and stances that it, it has some advantages and has some disadvantages mm -hmm. just as much as someone doing research just on one topic for their entire career. Now I mentioned Ron Weber earlier, yeah. um, who's now uh, sort of quasi retired, I would say yeah. um, he's done research on one topic alone for his entire career. And one of my other good friends, Brian Pentland, uh, he's done research on one topic from one stance for, you know, 30 plus years. Yeah. So I look at them in amazement because I think there's an, uh, an absolute beauty on doing one thing over the course of such a long time yeah. and really becoming maybe the expert on this planet on this particular topic, because it's something that I have not done. Right. Yeah. So I have a, a broader portfolio of topics, yeah. of methods, but it's also a different type of identity. Right. So and um, and, you know, with that, I will never be able to do what they these guys have done just as much as these guys probably cannot, you know, speak to as many topics as I can. So there, there there's a trade off there. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think people need to learn very early on um, who they want to be who they want to become, what, what their own identity is going to be. So there are people that are very known for one theory. There are people that are very known for one domain, you know, people that spend all their life doing research on IT and healthcare, for example. Yeah. Uh, there are people that are method experts, yeah. uh, you know, end up on all sorts of collaboration, always taking care of the method, right? Yeah. And um, the one thing I will, will say is the, the danger is not to have any identity whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and that can happen if you just jump from paper to paper, from publication to publication, you don't care what it is about and how is it done and so forth. And you're just trying to, you know, gather as many publications as you can without yeah. having a clear identity, either by topic or theory or method or stance or whatever. Right. I think that's very dangerous. Then it's sort yeah. of like a, just a, like a spaghetti bowl of, of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you, you got to have some sort of identity, whatever it may be that you can pursue um, it can be a one thing for the entire lifetime. It could be multiple things, but, you know, less is more, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, I think that the last one also has an identity. It's like publication guru, something like that, which actually focus on maybe yeah. pub publishing it in uh, uh, whatever goes and, and in, it happens, let's say. So if we talk about this and uh, what, what do you think it will be? Like what I can distill is like you have plurality, you have identity, and you need to have a transparency, you know, in making your choices. So, do you think that this, if 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 you are sitting now in a, let's say, junior scholar consortium or uh, in a in a in a in a or PhD school where the, there are ten PhD students or some postdocs, and they ask you, okay, but what? 
what I should do if I want my philosophically informed support research? What, what you will say to them in a, in, a, in 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 three sentences? Like uh, I try to distill it, but if you, from your experience, from your knowledge and relations with people and scholars that have actually went different streams or uh, similar streams or have cooperated with you, confronted with you, so what what will you what will you say? That, that is what I. Uh, yeah. I would say um, do it and be optimistic about it because um, um, I find, especially in this uh, people that are really interested in deep philosophical things, mm -hmm. um, I think they get they get very defensive very early, mm -hmm. and I don't think they need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what I mean. I think the the field is is reasonably inclusive and and, and open and pluralistic, right? So yeah. you can. You know, I always get that argument that, oh, I can't get this published. No, you can get this published. You, you, you know, it may not work for this particular paper, etc. But th there's nothing like a uh, this particular type of approach will never will never get is never welcome for any yeah. journal. That's simply not true. It may have been true 20 years ago, maybe. Yeah, but my, my view on this is that a lot of these debates about philosophies, about paradigms, about methods. They've been debates that have been resolved about 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah? so I've uh, worked a lot with CS, as you know, and uh, with MISQ for a long time now. And uh, they welcome any anything, really. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot of it, the conferences do as well, a lot of the other journals do as well. So yes, there is room for these types of papers. And with that, that means you also don't have to be defensive. I think a lot of these papers are very defensively written. Mm -hmm. Also think that is probably a matter of that topic. Um, they're also very, sometimes very aggressive. No. <laughs> That's the right word to use in that um, they are so defensive in the stance that they wanna push forward that they attack other stances. Yeah. And they yeah. become very aggressive uh, about other ideas and other views. Yeah. And again, I don't think that's very helpful to the cause. Yeah. If you don't have to be defensive, that also means you don't have to lash out to other views and people, etc. Yeah. Um, so I've seen all of that happen. I don't think there's a rule. For example, when I was in at, uh, the editor-in-chief for communication of the AIs, mm -hmm. we launched this, um, basically the section of the journal, which was called Philosophy and History. Yeah. And it existed in a different format before me, um, but there's really a department where people can explicitly submit philosophy yeah. papers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the biggest issue was we didn't get a lot of papers. You know, that's the reality. And, uh, uh, and it's similar in other types of paradigms, et cetera, and so forth. So when there was this big debate about design science, for example, yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s. And yeah. then people came up and said, oh, I'm doing design science, but I can't get this published. No one accepts this work. Well, that's not true. I'm yeah. one of the editors that have always looked after design science submissions. I rarely get any of them. <laughs> you know, that's the reality. And it's the same yeah. with the philosoph philosophical stuff. I, we rarely get them. So where are all these papers? They're not being yeah. submitted um, for, for some reason or other. So that's what I go out and tell people. Go yeah. out, do your work, be optimistic, don't be defensive, and submit your bloody work. <laughs> well, you know, to have a horrible soccer metaphor, if you don't shoot, you can't score. score. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what, what I like with what you say, and I'm, I'm relating this to the future now, is like, and I, that is also my personal opinion. The, 
there is so many opportunities in information systems field. And I actually, for one research I, uh, I made, I collected uh, like 200 most ranked professors. And because there was debate, are we plural field? What is the core of information systems? And I, I went on their websites and then downloaded their focus of research. And it's so plural, you know? So all, and all these people published a lot. So they say, I do this, I do different methods, different domains, etc. So actually I, I, I support your idea that our field is actually um, plural. And you, if you create a, a reasonably good research, you can publish. It doesn't matter, is it philosophy or uh, I don't know, uh, other field like our or different method, etc. And then you can, you can publish that, maybe not the journal which you strive and uh, desire to publish, but you will publish it in the ice field uh, journals. And with this, it's like, what is the future now for you, for example? What, what, not maybe so many philosophical aspects or talks, but what is the future of information systems field? Like you, you, we will mm -hmm. stay in this field for maybe 20, 30 more years, yeah? If everything yeah. goes okay. So what, what, what we can see in that, in that future now? Well, my, my view on that is, is that we as a field need to be a little bit more uh, outward looking and a little bit more confident. And what I mean yeah. with this is, again, historically, from the 70s to especially to the 90s, where people try to establish the field, they had to defend its existence. Yeah. They, had to, they, had to, they had to demonstrate to the outside world and, for example, to other disciplines in engineering, computer science and business schools saying, yeah. no, no. Uh, you know, we have a reason for being here and we do good work and, you know, our rigor is up to scratch and we're relevant and so forth. That's why we had had all these debates about what is the core? What about the rigor? What about the impact and all this, yeah. right? So that was all the question of establishing this field. Well, the field is established. Yeah. yeah, the field is established. The other fields look at us and our journals and our researchers saying, well, that's good quality work and it is. Yeah. Um, so we don't need to be defensive anymore. Yeah. Um, at the same time, what we have now, which we did not have oh, 10, 15 years ago, is an incredibly pervasive phenomenon that speaks to our interest. Yeah. Digitalization, yeah. digital transformation. Um, even if you look at a, a COVID-19, anything yeah. there is related to digital. I mean, we need information systems to track it. Yeah. There were the, the disruptive discovery process only worked through digital means, yeah. you know, so at the moment, we have an incredible opportunity that all phenomena that are really big of interest to this world speak to us. Yeah. yeah. And so that also, mean, but I think that means we need to step out and say, you guys, you got to look at us. You got you to come to us. We need to come to you and tell us this is our field and yeah. sort of stake the claim. And I think historically, we're not well trained to do that because we've always been defensive yeah <laughs> you know uh, so uh, this is not against our, our forefathers in the older generation i think yeah. this is a call for generations like my own yeah. and everyone that follows and saying like we are information systems people this is our time we got to speak to these phenomena now because it'll pass yeah. and then we don't want to have that uh, situation again where after the e-commerce boom yeah. people come up and talk to the ice field and say like where's your big theory of e-commerce yeah. you know why didn't you see Apple coming or Facebook or whatever? Um, and so it's a time to shine, but it's also an obligation to look, go after this opportunity, I think. And I, I think we need, we need to go. So this is what I go out and tell people of what we yeah. need to do. And can I get uh, just, just a 
Uh, and do you think like when you said, where is your grand theory of e-commerce? Where is your, not grand, but where is your theory of e-commerce or Facebook? Or you didn't, do you think, and this is something which I discussed, do you think that uh, in this uh, suggestion of not to become defended, but more, let's say, proactive and more adventurous, let's say, yeah. do we need to become more innovative and like not to focus only on the past, but also to push what the future might be with our theories, etc. And I, you know, I was I was reading this. Um, I think it was uh, Alan Dennis, uh, where he said we should not be a discipline that do autopsy of past events. You know, we should yeah. create the future. And if you see, we're in this artificial uh, uh, science, and there is there was one editorial. I think it was uh, Association of Computer Machinery where they were saying we as a field need to move more in the social aspects. And then I was saying, but this is information systems field, what is doing, et cetera. So people are recognizing this plurality, this need to be more information systems, you know, and should we be more innovative? Should we be more risk-taking and bold and offering uh, visions of the, of, the, of the future? Well, well, yes, uh, yes, I think so. But you know, you gotta see with this being being proactive and innovative comes with the risk of failing. So you gotta yeah. accept that. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think we are already. Yeah. Um, so give you one example. There's there's big interest in many of these big journals and on. Uh, uh, AI and machine learning yeah. uh, for research purposes. Yeah. Uh, for example, for inductive theory building. Yeah. Um, so sort of, you know, can I can can I train software to develop theory from data without us? You know, <laughs> um, and this is a topic that people are looking at, and and there are IS people at the very front of it. Yeah. So there there are people in our field that push this as well as people in other fields that push this. It's just like the ACM people, the marketing, yeah. people, everyone claims the digital field at the moment. Yeah. And when we look at this and say, but hang on, this is our area. Well, then, you know, it's not enough to just say, well, you know, don't step onto my ground here. This is my turf, but yeah. rather to go out there and show that you have something to contribute even to them. So yeah. that's what I mean, but we, we got to be a little bit more outward and less defensive, more offensive in a way. Yeah. Um, I think there is innovation happening. Uh, there is a systemic issue, and this is not necessarily an IS issue, but more a science issue at the moment, which is all of this is very hard to do if you jump from publication to publication. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very hard if you just go from one paper to the next, either because you think that's the way to go or because the system pushes you towards that, right? So if you have PhD students that need to have five publications in three years to get their PhD, or if you have an assistant professor that needs to have seven points or whatever to get tenure or to get the promotion, yeah. that is obviously counterproductive. You know, it's counterproductive to the innovation that you talked about because it's too yeah. risky. Yeah. Uh, these things what you talk about are very hard to do and you will need years to to develop and then push them through and get them out there it's just yeah. not easy convincing someone of that so it takes a long time yeah. and, and and people that go from publication to publication so and so many points a year you know how do you want to do that it's obviously yeah. a better bet to do something that is quick and dirty where you're very comfortable with and you know you yeah. can get that published in a year yeah you know, so that's yeah. a systemic issue. This is not an IS issue, but we also affected by it. Yeah, and that's, um, true. that's true. So that 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 is something with, that needs addressing. I'm not the first to say it. I won't be the last, but that is an yeah. issue in all of the science that, yeah. that that we are too too paper focused, and it's yeah. very very different. So I, I talk to my PhD students, and I say like, look, you, you know, 
think about outcomes yeah. of your research. Yeah. And, and they always equate that with the paper. <laughs> and they spend their year hopping from one deadline to the next. And that's very detrimental. You can spend all year uh, uh, submitting to AMSIS and ESIS and then ISIS and poof, the year's gone. Yeah. But what have you really done? You could only spend three months on a project because then the next deadline is up. Yeah. And some of the deeper issues, they take longer than that, yeah. you know? So yeah. that's all very detrimental and, and that's not their fault. That's what they train. That's what uh, the, 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 the metric system tell them to do. That's what the uh, newspaper tell them to do. That's yeah. sometimes even what the regulations tell them to do. So the yeah. goal, the rules for a PhD, for promotion, for tenure, for hiring, yeah. you know, what else are they going to do? Of course, they're going to do that yeah. and they need to do it. Otherwise they don't get a job. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like, uh, I would not say, but it's like agency and structure. <laughs> so yeah, you, yeah. You have the and, agency. And, you know, and, and uh, you're absolutely right. And I, uh, I'm old enough that I've seen the time before that, right? So when I started, there was no Google Scholar. There was no tiered ranking lists. Yeah. Uh, there was no IS research ranking yeah. and all that sort of stuff, right? So I've, I've come from a world where all the regulations look very different, all the transparency about quality, output, impact, all of that wasn't even there. I don't think there was a better time. I yeah. think that was worse, to be honest. I just yeah. think that we went a little bit O2 overboard. Yeah. And if we sit in hiring committees and, you know, and they put, put in a package, but all the people care about is your Google Scholar profile, yeah. and you're ranking on some more or less well-defended list, That's that can't be it either. Because yeah. it leads to the situation that people know my ranking, but they haven't read any of the papers. You know, yeah. that can't be it either. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that we, we, we covered the history. <laughs> we stayed in the current, but we also talk about, about the future. And I'm happy that um, you share the optimism and let's say the possibilities for the field and that the field will actually move from, let's say mature field in establishing to a growing field that will impact other uh, disciplines, not by, let's say, and this not by going in other publishing too much in other disciplines, but maybe making contributions within our disciplines that could be borrowed from the other disciplines. and they can actually start looking how we as genuinely pluralist, multi-perspective fields solved a certain problem and that could be replicated in other, in other problems. So I think that we are more or less ending to the time for our uh, podcast. Do you, do, you, do you want to say something else? Yeah. Or, yeah. Let, let me share one thing just for, for younger people um, yeah. or emergence scholars, which is yeah. what I often tell them. Always keep in mind that uh, our field and any other field, that's a, it's a social community. It's a very yeah. small one too. We're talking about a few hundred people. If you're around long enough, uh, you, you get to meet everybody too. And you will make the observation that most, if not all of these people are incredibly friendly and helpful, yeah. you know? So it's, it's a wonderful time um, to be an IS scholar. And, and if you think that you need to be defensive or that you, you know, no one likes your work, etc. Just remind yourself that that's not the case, that we have a very helpful, open, pluralistic, inclusive type of community out there. Um, and if you meet the people that are behind the journals and the papers and all that, you will find that they're very, very nice and friendly people. Uh, many of them are incredibly helpful as well and responsive. So um, 
science is a very social endeavor. And I, I think now after 2020, where we did not get to see one another basically at all, and we, you know, we, we missed the camaraderie and the friendship, um, it's good to remind yourself that this is the case and that it is a very friendly community. Yeah. Um, so it's a wonderful place to be, it's a wonderful place to go forward uh, with such a friendly, positive type of community. And yes. so I'm, I'm very happy that I am in this field, yeah. uh, even if I haven't developed the vaccine. <laughs> and I probably <laughs> never will, right? So, but, you know, try to do other things. Yeah. Everybody has a contribution and our contribution is actually when this COVID uh, finish, uh, that we actually see how these rapid transformations and how in the future we can prepare the information systems and platforms to be supportive to people that come up with the vaccines. And that is... Yeah, and we, uh, we, know, we know how process can be digitalized and we know yeah. how work from home and yeah. video conference and all these sorts of digitally enabled things work. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we, we have, do have something to say. Yeah. You know, we, we, we don't stop we don't provide the cure well we can help the world transition to whatever the new normal is absolutely yeah. i believe that like i believe that we have our place and that information systems field is important field that should actually uh, make its voice more stronger and make uh, let's say its contribution contributions wider with this i would like to uh, thank you one more time for this um, interesting and uh, let's say open uh, discussion about your experience and your views on philosophy method methods information systems future and i believe that this talk will be found useful by our uh, listeners one more time thank you and i wish you a very healthy and relaxing uh, new year thanks for having me and the same to you <laughs>